evening while uh, called by name takes a seat. Remember, it's uh, kids camp time out there as well, so take advantage of that if you'd like. Okay, well, this morning we start a, uh, a new uh, message series, and uh, the message series is uh, fundamentally you know, kind of big title there, uh, What the World Satan Wants You uh, to Believe. And uh, kind of look at that title and you see those brackets and say, whoa, what, what's that all about? Well, I mean, what we're going to talk about in this series is some, some fundamental beliefs that the world just wants you to understand. And if the world wants you to understand it, and, and adopted, it also means that Satan, the evil one, equally wants you to get that, right? And to be ruled by that in your life. And, and so right now you're sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, I look at the title and I hear what Pastor just said. And so like, is he saying that what the world wants is equal to what Satan wants? Or what Satan wants is equal to what the world wants? Well, if you're a biblical person, it's, uh, it's, it's just not possible to avoid that truth. Let, let me take you right there this morning so we get right into it and understand the state of the world and, and the reality of how Satan is and how Satan works uh, in the world. And I made it really easy for you by bolding verse number two there. Verse number one, just in the past you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. But now look at verse number two. You ready? You followed the ways of this world. So where is their focus and who are they listening to? The world, right? Okay? You followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. He rules the world. And his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. Who rules the world? Well, if you're a biblical Christian, you just got told, right? If you're a biblical Christian, you, you understand the way the world is and the way the world works because it's not under the total absolute influence of God. Now, it doesn't mean God is absent from it. We know that's not true. God came to be in the world. But the reality is right now, until that last day when Jesus comes back and conquers everything, the reality we have to face is that there is an evil one who is busy and ruling the world. And the world wants us to believe certain things. The world wants us to adopt certain beliefs and understandings uh, into our life. And if we adopt those understandings, then we too become under the rule and the power of the evil one. You see how that works? Now, you need to understand who the evil one is, right? you, you, you got to understand how, how the evil one works. If you go to John 8... Uh, it clarifies for us. It says, your father is the devil and you do exactly what he wants. He has always been a murderer and a liar. There's nothing truthful about him. He speaks on his own and everything he says is a lie. Not only is he a liar himself, but he is also the father of all lies. What does the evil one try to do in our lives? Get us to believe lies. Wouldn't you say Get us to believe lies. So it's trying to tell us that in the world, every day, as you go out there and you live in the world out there, every day there is a force loose in the world. And that world wants to get certain beliefs into your life. And those beliefs, because they, become, they come from the evil one, are lies. But they are beliefs, nevertheless, that the world takes a hold of. That, that the world builds perfectly rational understandings around and adopts and takes a hold of. 
Now, what you need to also understand is that these are scary truths. If, if you buy into these truths, they are scary truths. The book of Revelation tried to create an, an image, a picture of how the evil one works, and to do it in such a way that it would just kind of scare, scare your socks off, right? So if you look at Revelation 12 and kind of get, get the picture of what he's talking about, he says, something else appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon and seven heads and ten horns and a crown on each of its seven heads. With its tail, it dragged a third of the stars from the sky and threw them down to the earth. Does this sound like a real cuddly person that you want to have in your crib with your child? Yeah, not so cuddly and warm and fuzzy, right? No, he's trying to scare you. He's trying to say, whoa, man, this is ugly stuff. This is, this is tremendously, powerfully ugly stuff, right? And it says, then the dragon turned toward the woman because it wanted to eat her child as soon as it was born. Now we're really getting ugly, right? Yes, that old snake and his angels were thrown out of heaven. That snake who fools everyone on earth is known as the devil and Satan. What is he trying to do? Fool you and everybody else you know into buying in to some worldly beliefs that are nothing but lies that will take you further away from the truth that is found in Christ. Now the trouble is that when the world presents these lies, when the evil one works, he's so smart about it that he, he presents them in a way that it looks reasonable, okay? And, and the scripture warns us that that's the way it's going to work. If you go to 2 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, and just uh, say verse 14 with me, will you? So you get it in your head? And it's no wonder, even Satan tries to make himself look like an angel of light. What's he trying to make himself look like? An angel of light. So he presents it in a way that you're going to look at it and say, well, you know, that... That makes sense. Oh, well, that, that, that sounds reasonable. I mean, uh, from a worldly perspective, using all of our rational abilities that we have, based only on our own assumptions and our own reason, we would look at some of this stuff and say, well, it looks good, right? And that's the way the evil one works. The evil one works, and the world tries to convince us of these things and make arguments to us that seem rational, reasonable. Let, let me give you a prevailing argument. I, I hear this from couples all the time. Uh, they come into my office and we talk about this and, and, and inevitably I've heard over and over again a couple who comes and says to me, well, you know, Pastor, we decided to move in together before we got married because if we move in together before we get married, we can really figure out whether we're compatible or not. We can figure out whether our relationship is going to is going to work or not. And, and that way, we're really ahead of the game because when we get married, we know it's going to work. Now, doesn't that sound perfectly rational and reasonable? Of course it does. It sounds perfectly rational and reasonable. And it's exactly what the world wants you to believe. It's perfectly rational and reasonable. The only problem is it's totally outside of the design that God inherently has placed in the world for relationships. And when you step outside the design, you only bring further challenge and difficulty into your relationship. So if you buy into the rational, reasonable belief of the world on that one, you're already 
hurting your marriage and your relationship. Now, know that you can recover it. No forgiveness is great. God is greater than all things. And, and He can restore relationships and make your marriage great if you've been there, if that's been part of your life. But you need to understand, that's what a worldly belief looks like that looks so rational and reasonable, but is totally outside the truth. And if we buy into it, it only hurts us. Do you follow me and what it looks like? These are the things that the world wants to bring into our lives. And, and the reason it's, it's possible for the world to do this is the way the evil one works is he always makes one of his lies look like a truth. That his greatest tactic is to make something look like a truth. It's kind of a half-truth, okay? Let, let me show you in Scripture how he actually did that, this, this tactic of making a half-truth. It comes to us out of Genesis uh, 3, and you all know the experience, hopefully, of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. Everything's cool. Everything's good. They're walking with the Lord. I mean, the, they're just obedient totally to God, and, and they walk in the cool of the garden with him, and their relationship is tight, right, and good. Everything's fine until this snake uh, comes along. And when the snake comes along, he begins to twist the truth and actually present a half-truth. Let's, let's unpack it a bit. It says, The snake was sneakier than any of the other wild animals that the, world, that the Lord God had made. One day it came to the woman and asked, Did God tell you not to eat fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman answered, God said we could eat from fruit from any tree in the garden except the one in the middle. He told us not to eat the fruit from the tree or even touch it. If we do, we will die. Stop there for a minute. Now, notice, what is the first thing that, that the world, the evil one, did with, with Eve? Well, the first thing he did was start to doubt God's word, right? He says, well, now, wait a minute. Did God really say, I mean, did, did God really emphatically say to you, did God really tell you? Did God, did God really say? He plants the seed in Eve's mind to begin to question and doubt what God had told her. He follows up on that then by uh, taking that doubt and turning it into a half-truth. If you follow the text with verse 4, it says, No, you won't, the snake replied. God understands what will happen on the day you eat from the fruit of the tree. You'll see what you have done, and you'll know the difference between right and wrong, just as God does. What did he just do? He told her a half-truth. He says, Oh! Did God say you would die? No, you won't die. So he contradicts the word. No, you won't die. In fact, let me tell you a half-truth. The truth that's halfway there is if you eat of the fruit, then you're going to know, like God, the difference between right and wrong. He tells her a half-truth because the reality is after they ate, what happened? They realized they did something wrong. They were naked and they were ashamed. It's the truth, isn't it? I mean, the reality is that when they ate, they didn't die right away. They didn't fall over dead from cardiac arrest right on the spot, right? And so Satan takes this twist and he says, well, no, no, no. It's kind of half-truth. This is, you see what he's doing? This is the way it comes at us. It comes at us as something that sounds reasonable, rational, 
It's got a little truth in it. We can almost see a little truth in it. But it's so far away from the truth. What happens to Adam and Eve after they eat the apple? They discover the difference between right and wrong. Before that, they were living totally right. Before that, they were living in total joy and companionship with the Lord. But now they have this great gift, according to the evil one, of knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's a gift I wish they could have returned, don't you? This is a gift we don't need. The gift we need is just living in the presence of doing obedience and rightness with God. But the half-truth sounded so good. And, and that's what evil does. It makes it sound so good. Let me show you one other thing. And this, I think, will really blow your socks off of how, how the evil one works. It comes out of Matthew 4, and it's the experience of when Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's been fasting 40 days, 40 nights. He's really weak. The evil one comes and tempts him. He gives him three temptations. This is the second temptation. As the evil one speaks to him, he says, The devil took Jesus to a holy city uh, and had him stand on the highest part of the temple. The devil said, If you are God's son, jump off. The scriptures say, God will give his angels orders about you. They will catch you in their arms, and you won't hurt your feet on the stones. And Jesus answers, the scriptures also say, don't try to test the Lord your God. Did you see what the evil one just did? Not only did he create a half-truth, but what did he use to support his argument? Is this amazing? The evil one used scripture. He used the Bible to try to tempt Jesus to do something totally contrary to what God's desire is. You've got to understand how devious, how skilled the world and the evil one is to pull us away from God. It can even use the scriptures to try and influence us away from God. This is happening. We can look across the church today and, and we can see parts of the church that are taking Scripture and, and they're looking at Scripture and they're saying, well, you know, we're much more learned now. We know so much more now. And actually, you know, this word, if you get behind it, it has, well, not the original meaning that we've had for centuries and centuries that the church has taught for centuries and centuries. But really, if we go back into this contextual experience that we want to create, it means this, that, and the other thing. It'll prove exactly what I want it to prove. Do you know that's happening in the church? It's reality. The evil one is working not only in the world, but it's working and influencing the bride of Christ. And it's getting into our body. It is so devious. It is so skilled at creating these half-truths and getting us to buy into them. The first half-truth that I want to show you today and, and give you a word of warning about is the evil one wants you to believe that God can't be trusted. The world wants you to believe that God can't be uh, trusted. If we stick with that Matthew text and we look at when Jesus was tempted, we'll see what that looks like with, with the evil one and Jesus. It says, finally, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms on the earth and their power. And the devil said to him, I'll give you all this to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus answered, go away, Satan. The scriptures say, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. What, what's the temptation? The temptation here is the evil one is trying to get Jesus to not trust God 
in all the circumstances of his life. The evil one's trying to get Jesus to stop trusting the Father because it's going to lead to the cross. To stop trusting the Father because it's going to be lead to being abused, spit upon. To stop trusting the Father because it's going to lead to difficulty and people trying to trap him and people standing over and against him. You see what he's doing? He's trying to get him to give up trusting God because he knows it's going to be challenging and instead just take hold of what is. Just just take hold of what's easy. Right? Just take it into your own hands. It's right here. Just grab it now and take hold of it and forget trusting God for the long haul. Do you see that? You know how many of us have that experience in our lifetime? Because we know in our broken world, we're going to experience difficulties, challenges, disappointments. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be hard. There are going to be times when we get beaten up, when we get bruised, when we get disappointed, when our hearts are absolutely broken, when life gets robbed away from us because the world is the way it is. The question is, are you ready to just trust God? What the world wants you to do is say, no, I'm just going to take hold of life myself. I'm going to control everything myself. I'm just going to take what is. I'm going to do what I think's best and give up on God. This is the temptation, to just give up on God. The world wants you to abandon the truth that God can be trusted in absolutely every circumstance. That God can be trusted even in the face of our most difficult disappointment or challenge. And the intended outcome of what the world wants to accomplish, what the evil one wants to do in your life, is to move you away from God. To create distance between you and God and become convinced he can't be trusted. And because he can't be trusted, now you move away from him and you hide from him and you exclude him from places in your life and you point to other people and find faults in life itself. Here's the way it panned out for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. After they got this great awareness and they believed the snake, it says, The Lord God called out to the man and asked, Where are you? The man answered, I was naked, and when I heard you walking through the garden, I was frightened and I hid. Now what happened? Before this, they were walking with God. Everything was cool. Joy in the Lord. They were trusting God above everything. Then they took things into their own hand. They decided to move away from God. Now when God comes around, what do they do? Run and hide. Run and hide. See, what the evil one wants to do, what the world wants to convince you of, is that God can't be trusted. And the best thing you can do is take in things into your own hands and that you move away from God and you don't trust Him in all circumstances and you hide parts of your life from His dominion. And then, when things don't work out, you know what you do? You blame everybody else. When things don't work out, when, when you do that stuff and you buy into the world and things don't work out, then you just start blaming everybody else and say, well, it's not my fault. It's, it's everybody else's fault. I mean, look, look at the text again. And see what they do. He says, how did you know we're naked? And did you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden? And look what Adam responds. Well, it was the woman that you put here with me. And then and then he asks her. And, and of course he says, you know, what have you done? Well, the snake tricked me and I ate from the fruit. What are they doing? 
They've created a distance from God. They're hiding things from God. And now they start blaming everybody else, including God. You see that? Adam says, well, it wasn't me. It was the woman. And after all, you gave her to me. So not my fault. I'm clean here. You see, we hide things from God. We buy into the world's wisdom. We get distance from God. And then we start just blaming everybody else. Finding fault in everybody else. We need to get serious about how this works in our lives. Because the reality is, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're not going to come here and get together and worship the Lord again on Monday morning, right? You're going to go where? Back out there into the world, right? Can you see how important it is that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you understand how the world works and what it's trying to do in your life, right? And understand that the evil one is going to be there trying to accomplish these things in your life, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 4 says, The God who rules this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light, which is the good news about our glorious Christ, who shows what God is like. So when you get up tomorrow and you go out there into the world, if you're not surrounded by people who are absolutely sold out, committed Christ followers, what are you surrounded by? People that aren't ruled by Christ. And if they're not ruled by Christ, they're ruled by the influences of the world and the lies of the evil one. you got to know who you're dealing with. you got to know as you walk through your days the influences that other people want to bring uh, into your life. And we can look at the world and we can throw up our hands and say, Oh, man, this world is really messed up. How in the world did this place get so messed up? Well, look at the next text. See if this doesn't describe things. It says, Since these people refused even to think about God, He let their useless minds rule over them. That's why they do all sorts of indecent things. They, they are evil, wicked, greedy, as well as mean in every possible way. They want what others have, and they murder, argue, cheat, hard to get along with, they gossip, say cruel things about others, and hate God. They are proud, conceited, boastful, always thinking up new ways to do evil. Does this describe the world? Thankfully, none of you are going to get to, it sounds like, apparently watch the new TV series on MTV called Skins. Is this not an example of what we're talking about this morning? I mean, you know about that, that show, right? I mean, it's like light pornography, and they're going to put it on TV directed at your teenagers. Does this not describe the reality of what the world is like? And what it's trying to influence, not only to us, but into our families, our kids. we got to get serious about understanding the way it is. Romans, Paul keeps on saying, these people don't respect their parents. They're stupid, unreliable. They don't have any love or, or pity for others. They know God has said that anyone who acts this way deserves to die. But they keep on doing evil things. And they even encourage others to do them. How serious is the situation? Have I convinced you yet? All right. So now you're going to walk out of here this morning and say, Man, this is bad news. <laughs> Whoa, how in the world am I going to go back out there on Monday morning and get through this? Because 
if pastor's right, if the Bible's right, and this is the way the world is, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Here's what the Bible says. It says that we have every opportunity and every strength to rise above that kind of world. That we are the hope for that kind of world. And we have the ability through Christ to be able to rise above that world and not give in to it, begin to change it. That we get to influence. It says, but without faith, no one can please God. We must believe that God is real and that he rewards everyone who searches for him. Two things in that verse. We must believe what? God is real and that he rewards us. Got it? You see, we just got to take a stand in our life and say, no, wait a minute. God is real and God is who God is. And I can rise above this stuff because I am absolutely sold out in believing through Jesus Christ because I see what God did in Jesus Christ. I see that he was willing to die for me and take on all of that, that falseness of the world. I see that three days later he rose from the dead and beat death. And I believe and absolutely am going to stand on the truth that God is who God says he is. He is real. He is who he is. He promises what he promises. And he will be faithful. And I believe he is the one that will reward and direct my life. That in those times of difficulty, in those times of anguish, in those times of sorrow, when it would be so easy to buy into the world, that we say, wait a minute. God knows more than we know. God knows the future better than we do. God has plans for me that I don't understand, but he does. And I am just going to believe that he's not only real, but he is going to work in my life, and he's going to move my life in the direction that's best, that he wants it to go. You see, we rise above it when we just take a stand in faith and say, God is real. To take that stand, we got to make sure we just keep drinking in what God wants to pour into our life. It's Psalm uh, 73, I think it is. Yeah, where it says, God will bring his people back and they will drink the water he so freely gives. Only evil people would say, God most high cannot know everything. You see, we say God knows everything and I'm just going to trust him no matter what. And I'm just going to drink in that truth. I'm just going to drink in the presence of Jesus. If you need another image, it comes from the Apostle Paul. He says, finally, let the mighty strength of the Lord make you strong. What's going to make you strong in the face of the world? Not your own strength, but you got to drink it in. You see it? you got to drink it in. you got to say, look, I can't stand in that, but if I drink in the presence of Christ in my life, I will be stronger than anything the world can bring against me. He says, put on the armor that God gives you. Put on what God pours into your life so you can defend your sense, yourself against what? The devil's tricks. That's what we've been talking about. We are not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities, against rulers of darkness, against powers in the spiritual world. So put on the armor that God wants to give into your life. And when the evil day comes, you'll be able to defend yourself. And when the battle is over, you'll be standing firm. Do you see that? We need to pour in on ourselves to pour in what comes from Christ. And when we do that, we can not only stand out there in the world, but we can influence the world. Let me give you a hint. You want to stand out there in the world? 
Here's, here's, and Paul tells you this later in this, in this same passage. When you go Monday, if you want to really overcome the world, you want to make sure you don't buy into all of the falsehood that God can't be trusted, you go to work tomorrow, and when God gives you the opportunity, pray for it in the morning, and when God gives you the opportunity, you share with somebody what you know to be true about Jesus Christ. You want the best way to, to stand? The best way to stand is to pour yourself and the truth into somebody else. You follow? The best way to stand. And now, this is going to drive the evil one crazy. The world's not going to like this, and it's going to come at you even harder. But the best way to stand is until you convince the evil one, well, lost cause. <laughs> that person's claimed by Christ. No room for me. You get it? You see, the best way to stand is when you start pouring the truth out of yourself and into somebody else. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning. We do want to stand. We want to be strong. We want to rise above the world. We don't want to buy into any of the falsehood. We just want to stand in the truth that comes from you alone. We see it in Jesus. We know it's true because he was willing to lay down his life for this truth. And on the third day, he rose again like no one else in the world to prove it to us. Father, we pray today, just confirm this in our life. Help us to hold fast to this truth and to rise above, to rise above to that other level of living that only you can give. We pray it in Jesus' name.